Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, good morning. Also joined, joining <laughs> us, me, on the show, Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. Save me, Julie. Help me. Hey, Danny. How you doing? <laughs> Happy Fourth of July weekend, just about. <laughs> yeah, to you and yours. Yeah, very good. It's going to be a hot one. Another. Uh, oh, I know. Oh my. Uh, in fact, I even looking at Friday's forecast. Friday's going to be around ninety. So yeah. Well, it's going to be toasty. We'll, uh, we'll take it a day at a time here. But uh, in the meantime, if uh, you're new to the Smart Garden Show. And you have a lawn or garden question, I can tell you we we get very busy during this hour. So if you have any kind of a question pertaining to lawns or gardens, now is your chance to uh, ask Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota those questions. And there's one number to remember, and that's good for either a phone call or text, 651-989-9226. Julie, how are you guys doing uh, with, <laughs> with your uh, lawns and gardens where you live during this hot weather? Oh, my gosh. Well, we don't have too much lawn, and our lawn is shaded part of the day, so it actually is looking pretty darn good. Maggie was out here uh, earlier this week and said, boy, this looks pretty good, so I felt all right about that. <laughs> You're talking about Maggie Ryder. You're, that's you're, right. Uh, yeah, right. that's right, our, our turf extension educator. But I was reading Mark Seeley's uh, weekly Minnesota Weather Talk blog, and he has some very interesting facts about the weather in June uh, statewide, it was the second hottest in history. And in some cases, like in Duluth and St. Cloud and International Falls, it was the most, it was the hottest June in the history of the state in our records. We had extremes wow. in early June from 104 in Warren, Minnesota, which is in Marshall County, to, my, to 20 degrees in Cotton in St. Louis County on, July, on June 1st. So those are amazing. I have all these post-it notes to read you here. Um, there were 244 maximum daily records set or tied in June and 203 minimum set in June. We had wow. extremely high uh, or very high solar radiation, highest since the summer of 1988. I don't know if everybody remembers that summer, but it was not, we weren't quite as bad, but it, it was pretty bad that summer. It was, everything had died. Um, certainly less than normal rain. And uh, and we have set uh, record-setting rainfalls on 627, however, on June 27th. But we had record near dry June overall. So it was 
you know, it's been a hot, dry month, and 82% of the state is in about a moderate drought status. So our climate prediction from the NOAA Climate Prediction Center uh, is warmer than normal for July and less than normal rainfall. So I hate oh, to report that, but yes. we are going into the same stuff we just came out of. Not good news. Yikes. Not good news. <laughs> wow, all the water restrictions, too, for good reason. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Exactly. Uh, I know we have callers, we have texts. In fact, this came in earlier this morning, uh, Julie. Uh, let's see if we can't take care of this before we grab a phone call. It says, good morning. I sprayed my two apple trees about a week ago with a fruit tree spray. And I'm kind of confused because it says to spray two times a year, but then it gives you all these different times to spray, and it's more than two times. Could you help me, please? Thank you so much. I love the show. Well, again, I know you're going to say read the directions again. Yeah, read the, I, and, and it can be confusing on the label. Um, sometimes it is trying to serve many needs in that case. I would say um, I'm unfortunately not an apple grower. I've tried and I am horrible at it. Uh, and I am not, I was, I tried to, to spray uh, using BT, Bacillus thuringiensis, uh, but I was unsuccessful. So I would say the best bet is to go to the pest management uh, for home orchards, home or apple orchards publication. It's on our webpage under the fruit section, and it is a very comprehensive publication. You can download it, print it out, uh, all about pest management in the home apple orchard. One of the important things is to identify what you are spraying for and to choose the right product for it. Timing is everything when it comes to spraying for pests because you've got to hit them at the right part of their life cycle so that the pesticide can actually be effective. So I would, def I would defer to the pest management for the home apple orchard. Again, it's on our website under fruits, which is extension.umn.edu, and go to yard and garden and go to the fruit section, and, and you'll find it under apples. Excellent. Good idea. Let's go to the phones, Julie. Let's go to Chen Hassan. I think uh, Phil has been waiting there. Phil, you're on CCO with Julie. Yeah, I was uh, curious about a new home build in Big Lake, which is very sandy and a well. Right. Or planting turf or grass, but then also transplanting uh, very mature um, hostas, sedum, ferns at the end of the year, more October. And so, probably doing grass next year, but I would think I would need quite a bit of blacktop on top of that to make it okay. grow. Okay, great. So you are, you're right. Big Lake has very sandy soil. Uh, I, I think it's great that you're thinking about transplanting later in the season. That's terrific because things will cool down eventually, and it will be much less transplant shock for those plants. And things like hostas and sedum, <clears throat> they all uh, transplant very easily and are pretty tough plants. So that's, those are good options. Uh, as far as the lawn goes, what I'd recommend is that you get a soil test, first of all, and tell them that it is for a new lawn, and they will recommend the fertilizer to add to that as well as soil amendments, and tell them that it is for a new lawn, and they will recommend the fertilizer to add to that as well as soil amendments. And then you're right to wait uh, to wait to do the lawn, but you could actually amend the soil this year, and then you could do some dormant seeding. So dormant seeding is where we put down the appropriate kind of grass seed. You'd want to choose one for the conditions that you're growing in, 
Uh, a fine fescue uh, would be a terrific option for that sandy soil. And uh, you want to till in all of those nutrients or all of those, uh, I should say, the amendments. So if they recommend putting compost down, if you're going to bring in any topsoil at all, you want to till it in. You want to turn it into the existing soil. Don't just lay it on the top of it because it will form a layering effect and the grass roots will only grow as deep as that topsoil. So you want to really till it in so that you're blending it into the existing soil. Then in November, after we've reached temperatures lower than, I think it's 40 degrees, so the seed will not germinate, you want to put down your grass seed that will sprout then next spring when the temperatures rise and the moisture is available. Very good. All right, Julie, uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back on the other side with more of our Smart Garden Show. 651-989-9226 is the phone number. It's also the text number. Here on 830-WCCO, stay with us. And good Saturday morning to you. Denny Long here along with Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. We're in the midst of our Smart Garden Show around every Saturday in the uh, 8 o'clock hour here on CCO. And Julie, as usual, callers and texters, enough to keep you busy. And again, we'll mention <laughs> that uh, that uh, university website, too, from time to time. Yes. Great, great resource. All right, let's see who's next. Kathy's calling in from St. Anthony, I believe, this morning. Kathy, thank you for waiting. What's your question for Julie? Well, Julia, first of all, a public thank you for answering my question about growing Tithonia. Um, oh, you just answered it on the extension site. Thank you for oh, that good. information. Um, but I have a question about a plant that I bought 30 years ago from Wayside Gardens. And it is, I just found out it, it well, back then they said it was Zone 5. But I found okay. out from friends that it's listed now as Zone 6 to 9. And it has been growing in my garden for 30 years. Wow. It's called um, Indian Pinks. And I think the uh, Linnaeus name is um, uh, Spiglia. But I couldn't verify that because I, I didn't know how to spell Spigula. But uh, anyway, um, it is spreading. This perennial, I got it bare root. And it is spreading. Now I, Now that I've learned it's so special, it's kind of my secret plant. It's beautiful. It's got red tubes with a star on top. I, I want to keep it going, and whatever I'm doing is working because it's spreading and it's huge. But I'm just amazed that a plant that's now rated zone 6 to 9 is growing <laughs> in a 4B area. Have you ever heard of something like that? And am I so special on this planet <laughs> that it has graced me with its growth? Um, well, is it, it's obviously possible, but have you ever heard of that? Well, I actually just looked it up on the uh, Missouri Botanical Garden website while you were talking, and it is called Spiglia marilandica, uh, and it's spelled S-P-I-G-E-L-I-A marilandica. Um, it is indeed called the common name India pink, but it's zone five to nine, not zone six. So I, I kind of, this is a great resource, by the way, the Missouri Botanical Garden. Uh, they have uh, a plant database there that's fantastic called the Plant Finder. It has a lot of great information about it. Uh, because it's a zone five, we can call it kind of a marginally hardy plant. 
and you have hap- you happen to have planted it in exactly the kind of condition that it wants to grow in with exactly the right winter protection for whatever reason. Uh, it, it grows in average to medium well-drained soils and part shade to full shade. And uh, it prefers really moist, organically rich soils, but it tolerates wet soils. So this is something that, um, that just has found its uh, niche in your garden. Congratulations. That's pretty cool. Um, and you can go ahead and look for that on, and read a little bit more about the plant on the Missouri Botanical Garden Plant Finder website. All right, very good. Interesting. That's cool. 651-989-9226. Texter says this, uh, Julie, how does one protect tomatoes from getting mold or whatever it is in the bottom of uh, them from happening? Well, I don't really know what you mean by mold because typically uh, the problems that we see with tomatoes are blights and uh, leaf spot diseases. Um, and some of that has to do with, first of all, the type of tomato. Some are disease resistant to certain pathogens like bacterias and fungi. And then some of them are, uh, are heirloom or not, are not resistant. Heirloom are typically not resistant. Uh, not all of them. There are many kinds of tomatoes. So it starts with choosing the type of tomato. And when you go to look for a tomato, you want to read about the disease resistance. Celebrity is one that I've grown in the past. That's a great tomato. Uh, it is a hybrid. It is not an heirloom, but it's very prolific and it has uh, a fairly good disease resistance profile. And then the second part of that is how you take care of the plant. One thing about tomatoes is to water just at the base of the plant and to mulch the soil. A lot of soil pathogens that get onto our tomato leaves are in the soil And if you have planted tomatoes in the same soil from year to year, those pathogens live in that soil from year to year. And that's how you can you can get them onto uh, new tomatoes that that you bring into your garden. So uh, you want to rotate your crops. That's the third thing is move those tomatoes around. Don't reuse soil in pots that you have planted tomatoes in the year before. Use that soil for ornamental plants or something outside of the nightshade family. And uh, those are probably the three top things. And, of course, on our website, we have a lot of great tomato information, uh, including information about the particulars about early blight, late blight, and septoria leaf spot, which are kind of the top three. Yeah, in fact, Julie, speaking, that's where I uh, was browsing before I planted my tomatoes in big containers. As I went Yay. on the university website, and it, I, it's some great information. It's really helped me. I'm actually growing tomatoes. It works. Way to go. <laughs> here's here's a text says has a question about clover. Uh, texter says I have clover growing along my driveway. It seems a fair bit tougher than grass. I'm thinking about letting it spread. Any downside to letting it go? Well, I'm a fan of clover. <clears throat> this is white Dutch clover, and it mows well. It's actually one of the main seeds in bee lawn mixes. So bee lawn mixes are comprised of uh, cool season grasses like fescues and Kentucky bluegrass. And along with a small percentage of low-growing perennial plants that bloom. So white clover is one of those, self-heal, creeping thyme, and uh, ground plum. And so white clover to me is a great lawn plant. I have actually purposely planted it as a, a living mulch in my garden beds and some of my pots. I'm trying that this year. It is in the legume family, so it fixes nitrogen through nodules on its roots and makes that available for other plants. So as a mulch, it actually can be generating some nitrogen for your plants that are nearby. 
It also feeds our bees, which is important, especially in these high temperatures where some of our uh, maybe more bee-friendly flowers might be fading quicker because of the heat. So clover is a good uh, ground cover, and uh, I think it's a great part of a lawn, and I'd say let it grow. All right, very good. Uh, I want to alert Mark and Lloyd. You're going to be next on the phone, uh, but maybe before we have a look at that hot forecast, you can answer this question, Julie. Maybe you direct it to the uh, website. It says, I live in a townhome with north and east exposure. What suggestions do you have for midsummer, early fall container gardening? Oh, yeah. Well, right now you can get deals on annuals. So, uh, and because they're annuals, uh, you know, they should be in probably as much sun as you can get them in. A lot of them are full sun plants, but some are not. Some can tolerate some uh, some shade as well. And uh, now you can get some bargains on those. And you could also think about seeding for a late season crop of, say, lettuce or some cilantro, uh, some other plants like that. And, um, and so you could actually have edible containers. And I just published a uh, a post on our Yard and Garden News called Edible Gardens for People and Pollinators has some ideas that you might want to employ. Very good. All right, we have more show to come here right after the forecast, so stay with us. 651-989-9226. If you're just joining us, Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M helping you out on our Smart Garden Show on News Talk 830 WCCO. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. If you're just joining us, Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M is helping you out answering your lawn and garden questions this hour. And as usual, Julie, uh, so many callers, so many textures, but we always like to mention, and uh, heat or cold, whatever time of year, get to the Arboretum, right? Yes, absolutely. There, There's plenty of cool places to be if you need to a respite from the heat, but there's a lot of shade at the Arboretum. And uh, things like the Hostaglade is a terrific place to go, the Azalea Woodland Garden. Uh, I certainly, one of my favorites is the Home Demonstration Garden. I love seeing the ways that uh, edible foods can be grown in very small spaces because I think that's really important to a lot of growers uh, and gardeners these days. Um, The Rose Garden is in full bloom. Uh, Perennials are all blooming. And don't forget about the three-mile drive, which you can actually go on the three-mile walk now. So you can actually walk it. And uh, there's plenty of places, like I said, to sit in the shade and just absorb and be in nature. It's just a, a wonderful place to be. We are so fortunate in Minnesota to have not only the Arboretum, but also about 45 other public gardens that uh, are out there that we can visit and enjoy and that people care about. Um, it's really We're really lucky in Minnesota. We really are, for sure. All right. We're also lucky we have a bunch of listeners uh, asking for help. Uh, Let's get back to the phones. Mark is first up. You're calling from Scandia. Thank you, Mark. What's your question for Julie? Yeah, good morning. Um, I have some shrubs that I need to replace in the front of my house. They've become damaged by snow that I have to rake off the roof um, to prevent uh, ice dams. And I'm wondering what recommendation you have, because I'm going to have to keep raking the snow off. So is there something that I could put there that will withstand that uh, extra snow? Well, the key to this is that uh, woody plants are not going to work because that is the 
that's the problem. The exception would be, say, something like a spirea. Uh, spirea can be, uh, if they are spring bloomers, uh, they can be cut back in the spring. In other words, if you've raked snow down on them and they've broken some branches, you can just cut them down. You can cut that off. Uh, so I would say look for spirea. And then also think about uh, some perennials, some herbaceous perennials like ornamental grasses. They oftentimes will keep their form for most of the winter uh, until that snow falls on top of them. But they, all, they too just get cut back in the spring. So you're not breaking branches on those. And then you could intermingle it with some of our herbaceous perennials that die back to the ground and, uh, and essentially are unaffected by the snowfall that, uh, or that, that layer of snow that you're dumping on there. So you could do a combination of things. Again, it's spirea, and I would look for ornamental grasses, uh, and then also look for some herbaceous perennials. Very good. Listener wants to know, can lily of the valley survive in mostly water and mucky dirt? <laughs> <laughs> Usually people don't have any trouble with lily of the valley surviving. It's a tough uh, spreading plant. Um, I don't know if it would work so well in mucky soil. It actually has a series of rhizomes. These are underground stems that, that connect the plants together. You can see them when you pull it up. And I think they might actually rot. So if you can do anything to amend that soil so that it's well-drained or don't plant that particular plant in that space. Look for something that can tolerate really wet soil most of the time. We do have a great plant selection database that's under our landscaping section on our extension website. And that website, just in case people don't know, is extension.umn.edu. Very good. Lloyd is calling in from Prior Lake, I believe, this morning. Lloyd, thank you for waiting. What is your question this morning? I have uh some small uh, grape plants and i've noticed yesterday that there is a i presume it's the japanese beetle just chewing up the leaves on it i put some seven on it is there anything else that would work better or how often should i apply the seven well you are probably correct because they i have seen them now out uh i found one on one of my plants yesterday and uh i have seen them out at the arboretum a little bit too so Around for uh, Japanese beetles have been in Minnesota for many, many years, uh, but they really became noticeable in about 2011. And they come out about this time of year. The adults, uh, they are big flyers. They fly, can fly long distances. And you treated, treated your grape vine with seven. Uh, that is appropriate. And uh, that is probably what you could use. You want to definitely read the instructions on the label and the product and apply it according to that label. Those labels are written as legal documents. You want to follow those. And if you veer from that at all, you're basically breaking, breaking the law, to be honest. Uh, and you, want, you could really do some harm to your plant if you over-apply. So uh, yes, follow the label and uh, apply it as it says on the label. But uh, that is, that, I understand that that is an appropriate product for that for the uh, treatment for the beetles. This listener says, we repotted our peace lily and may have buried the root ball too deeply because the leaves were dying and drooping. So we repotted it again, raised the root ball. The leaves haven't recovered and are still drooping. Should we trim back the leaves? And if so, how far down? Uh, I wouldn't trim the leaves back until they actually, if they turn brown and dry up, um, they are still photosynthesizing. It could just be transplant stress for those plants. I've seen the same thing happen when I have transplanted them, and it takes some time for them to recover. 
Sometimes the leaves are so big that the transplant stress kind of overwhelms the plant and they can't support those big leaves. But leave them on. Uh, new leaves will start to come up and, uh, and just take care of it. Don't, you know, don't fertilize it at this point. Uh, you put it in fresh soil. That's great. And just uh, kind of be patient with it. Okay. Let's go back to the phones, Julie. Uh, Eric is calling in from Waverly on the show this morning. Thank you, Eric. What, uh, what's your question for Julie? Yeah, good morning. I have a tree question. Uh, I have a tree in my front yard. A lot of people ask if it's a birch, but I believe it's a <clears throat> cottonwood species because it puts off the caterpillars, but it's uh, a lot whiter than some of the other cottonwoods and very green leaves. But last year, <clears throat> um, all around the base of the tree, outside of the drip line, um, little sprouts have been shooting up um, all over. Probably, you know, There's probably about 100 or so of them. And this year I noticed it looks like maybe the top of the tree is dying. But uh, last year and now this year, there's just tons of little trees sprouting up all around that tree. Uh, wondering what your thought is there. So my first thought is to, to actually get the tree identified conclusively. It sounds like it's in the poplar genus, uh, which is what cottonwood is in, uh, our trembling aspen. Uh, so I would I would try to get it identified. If you send a picture on Ask Extension, which is on our website, we can see if we can get some of our master gardeners to help you identify it. Uh, if it is a poplar, it could be sprouting for a couple reasons. Uh, it could be sprouting from the uh, the seeds off the plant, uh, and uh, and as those caterpillars or the the catkins that you mentioned, as they drop, they're dropping seed, uh, and it could be. They could just be sprouts from those seeds. You could just mow them over. Uh, if they are woody sprouts and they seem to be coming from a root, then they're suckers. And again, those all you can do is cut them off. There's no treatment you can do. There's nothing special to do about it. Um, but you would just have to cut those suckers off. But if they're just tiny little trees growing, they're just sprouting from the seed. And it would I'm guessing it's a female tree because it's dropping those seeds. Okay. Let's grab another call before we take a break. Julie, Dale is calling in from uh, the center this morning. Dale, thank you for waiting. What is uh, your question for Julie? I, I got to pull over here real quick because I was driving. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. That's anyway, good. My, my question <laughs> is, is I, I always loved raspberries, and my boys and that, they got me some for Father's Day, and so I planted my own. But I really don't know how to care for them. I put them in. Somebody told me I should buy 10, 10, 10 fertilizer, which I did. But I haven't fertilized anything yet. But I'm just kind of wondering how do you, I mean, I've got them in the ground. I put them in there just before that heat wave that we just had here, you know, right. not too long ago. But they did get all this nice rain in that. But they are wilting. I'm thinking that's the shock. I'm thinking. I mean, how do I sure. maintain, how do I maintain these? I mean, do you cut them back at the end of the year, or do you trim them? Or I guess I've never I'm new at this with the raspberries, so I'm just kind of looking for some kind of help on how I get these to grow. Okay, so good for you for growing raspberries. They're a great plant. I love them too. Uh, they will need a lot of room because they do spread. And uh, I'm gonna uh, the first thing is is to know that raspberries grow two different kinds of canes. One is a productive cane. That's the, those that have berries this year. And others are the, uh, the uh, canes that will produce next year. So you'll see uh, the, the fruiting on one cane, and you'll see just plain green leaves on the other. And those green leaf canes will get really long, 
and very arching. Uh, do not cut them off. At least, uh, you know, let them grow up until they drop all their leaves. You can cut them back next next spring a little bit. Um, but uh, those canes that produce this year will die back next year, and you'll be able to literally gently pull them out of the ground or cut them off next spring. So there are the two canes. They are big feeders, so you do want to fertilize them. You're, whoever gave you the advice is correct. Um, and, uh, and you want to also water them and mulch them. And that will help to protect the roots. Uh, it probably has some transplant stress right now. It would be good to know what kind of raspberries you bought or received. And I'm going to, one last uh, piece of advice is to go to our raspberry page uh, under our fruit section of extension, we have two publications. One is called Growing Raspberries in the Home Garden, and the second is on Pest Management for the Home Raspberry Patch. Uh, so visit that. It's called Growing Raspberries in the Home Garden, and the second is on Pest Management for the Home Raspberry Patch. Uh, so visit that. It's at extension.umn.edu. Go to Yard and Garden, go to Fruits, and go to Raspberries. The last thing I'll say for anybody growing fruit is that our extension educator, Annie Claude, just wrote an article about uh, fertilizing fruit plants. And there's some information there uh, that gives you some good rules of thumb, as well as some pieces of advice on specific crops. So it's on our Yard and Garden News, which is uh, also found on our website. All right. We'll again mention that website before Julie leaves us today. All right, let's do this. Let's take a break. We'll be right back with more Smart Garden Show here on News Talk A3O. This is WCCO. Welcome back to the remaining minutes of our Smart Garden Show around here on CCO. Every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour, welcoming your phone calls and text messages this morning for Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M. Julie, we've got uh, a call or two and a bunch of text messages you know, we need about another three hours. I think that would cover it. Um, I don't know how you feel about it. But that, it's a marathon sure. show someday. Maybe we will. Pete in Otsego, I believe, is waiting on the horn there for uh, for a question. Go ahead, Pete. Thank you for waiting. Yeah, good morning and happy 4th of July. Thank Thanks. you. I, uh, I have a problem in the grass. The last couple of years, we've had uh, a lot of rain that created a small pond in my grass and this year there of course we haven't had any problem with with uh, any ponding but i just can't get the, the grass to come back i mean it's still potty i i mean uh poultry looking it's uh i i've fertilized it i've hugged it i've tried everything and i can't <laughs> get it to come back uh, well, one of the main things that first thing I thought of when you said you have this area that where the water ponds is drainage uh, and in that space, that soil is compacted. So it acts kind of like a pond. It holds up, holds all that water when it does rain. So I would recommend that this fall rent a core aerator or hire a company to do this and core aerate your lawn. This means that they're going to go along with a piece of equipment and they're going to pull cores of soil out of your lawn. And uh, what this does is it relieves compaction. It puts air spaces into your lawn, and then the soil can actually uh, kind of move into those spaces pretty quickly and, and loosen, it loosens the compaction. That will help with the drainage. And then I would also uh, think about maybe at looking at the type of lawn that you're trying to grow in that space. 
Uh, but I, I, re- I think uh, maybe looking for the seed that would be best appropriate for your lawn. Maybe it's a fine fescue blend. Uh, maybe you're trying to grow uh, ryegrass or something in there. I'm not sure. So choose a great seed and do a dormant seeding uh, over that so that those seeds get down into those core spaces. And, and uh, overall, your lawn will be healthier. That will help with the drainage in that space. You may not have that ponding next year as much. So uh, so I would say coreration in the fall would really help in uh, all those cases. Okay, good. Texter says this, Julie, a newly planted one and a half foot bee balm ready to bloom. It is now about two uh, inches tall due to some critter. It left some leaves, but mostly stems. Do you think it'll come back? Oh, yeah. It probably won't come back uh, maybe not this year as much. It might always, it might be kind of teeny this year. But next year we'll come back. Bee balm or Monarda, which is the genus, is a really uh, resilient plant, a great perennial, great pollinator plant. So, yeah, just be patient with it. Okay. This listener has a question about uh, the Norway spruce trees. They seem to be suffering from needle cast. Just wondering what kind of treatment I need to do on these trees. They're 40 to 50 feet tall and mature. Thank you very much. Uh, this call comes in or text from uh, Isanti. Okay, so these are major trees in your property, and uh, like other shows, my recommendation is to contact a certified arborist. We have a lot of great arborists and companies here in Minnesota who can come out and take a look at those trees, analyze them, uh, diagnose what's going on, and then give you any recommendations. Uh, You may possibly have a needle cast disease uh, that's very common on spruces and a wide variety of them. But I would contact a certified arborist, and you can find those uh, find somebody uh, by going to the International Society of Arboriculture website. I believe it's isa.org, and uh, but you could just Google International Society of Arboriculture, and there's a section there called Find an Arborist, and you put in your zip code, and they will come up with any and all companies that are listed who are certified arborists. Okay couple of minutes to go, Julie. A Japanese beetle question. Is there something to treat the soil to kill the crop for next year? If, uh, if so, when and or should this be done? So Japanese beetles, uh, we're going into July now. Well, we're in July, I guess. Uh, and this is a time of year when if you, have, if you have grub issues, if you definitely have determined that you have grub problems in your soil, so these are little maggots that eat the roots of your grass, uh, kill the grass. The grass can be pulled up just like a piece of carpet. Uh, Then you will want to treat for those grubs. And this is the time of year to treat for those grubs. If you are trying to treat for the adult Japanese beetles, you're wasting your time. Uh, Those Japanese beetles will fly from yard to yard. And whether you have grub problems or not, Treating for them, assuming that you can uh, deter those adult beetles next year, is not going to happen. So only treat your lawn if you truly have grub problems. Uh, Otherwise, uh, you just have to manage the beetles. And we have good information on our management of Japanese beetles in home landscapes on that website. Uh, Jeff Hahn, our retired entomologist, and I wrote that a couple years ago. And we specifically address the kinds of questions that we get on this show. This show is very helpful in writing that. So, uh, so that's, that's my advice on that. Um, Japanese beetles are something we are just stuck with, and we just need to handpick them off. 
or not grow certain plants. If you don't want to have them on roses, don't grow roses. Um, you can try to treat them, but again, those adults are very tough and they're around for about six to eight weeks. And I'm hoping that the dry spring actually is reducing the amount of population. So um, the uh, the grubs that are in the ground do not like dry conditions. So okay. um, so hopefully that'll be the case. We got to fly. How about ten okay. seconds and tell us that website for the U of M? Yes, extension.umn.edu. And please uh, take a look at our yard and garden news. We've got good information on fertilizing in midsummer. You guys do a great job with that website. Julie, thanks so much. Uh, Happy 4th, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? Sounds good, Denny. You too. And wish your mom and dad a great, uh, happy new home, all right? I will. All right. Good deal. Thank you. All right. 71 degrees in the Twin Cities. We're going to be hearing an encore performance of our home improvement show next hour here on CCO with uh, Andy Linda. 71 now. We're heading to near 92, and for your Sunday tomorrow, near 95 degrees. Fair skies now 71 on 830-WCCO. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.